It's Tuesday, June 11th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. There is an animal cruelty controversy that is striking the largest dairy producer in Indiana and one of the largest in the country. A video released by a group called Animal Recovery Mission showed cases of abuse and cruelty in the treatment of calves at Fair Oak Farms. There was also drug use by some of the employees caught on camera. On one side of the issue is Richard Kudo, founder of ARM who has been called the Batman of animal cruelty, and on the other side, Mike McCloskey, founder of Fair Oaks Farms who runs Fair Oaks Dairy Adventure, which some have called the Disneyland of agricultural tourism. Sarah Bowman, environmental reporter at the Indianapolis Star, joins us to break down this story. Next, we now have two cities on the books with laws decriminalizing magic mushrooms, Denver and Oakland. There's an important distinction, however. These laws just make it a lower priority for law enforcement. You can grow them and possess them, just not sell them. Some lawmakers see it going the way of cannabis into legalization. Matt Simon, science writer at Wired, joins us to talk about the journey to decriminalize psilocybin, also known as magic mushroom. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Hello, my name is Mike McCloskey, owner and founder of Fair Oaks Farms. Yesterday, Animal Recovery Mission released a video that contains footage of Fair Oaks Farms. Watching this video broke my heart and created a sadness that I'll have to endure the rest of my life. I am sorry and I apologize for the footage in this video. Joining us now is Sarah Bowman, environmental reporter for the Indianapolis Star. There's an animal welfare controversy that has garnered national attention, and it all started with Fair Oaks Farms, which is the largest dairy producer in Indiana and one of the largest in the country. There was a video release from an undercover investigation done by ARM, also known as Animal Recovery Mission, and it shows a lot of animal abuse at some of the Fair Oaks Farms and even some drug use by some of the employees there. I saw the first video that they initially released. There's some really bad stuff in there. There's employees kicking really young calves, hitting them with steel rods. It was just really sad and horrible to see. Tell us how this all got started. I have watched a little bit of the video myself, and there are some pretty gruesome actions in there. And it actually got started to this group arm that you mentioned. The founder of that group, a gentleman named Richard Kudo, this group's been around since 2010, and, and they do a lot of this type of work where they will investigate whether it's a dairy operation like this, another type of farm. They've looked at a lot of illegal horse slaughterhouses and that sort of stuff. But the founder heard about the dairy adventure at Fair Oaks farms, which is almost kind of like a little bit of a theme park experience. They say, you know, you're getting a behind the scenes look at kind of the operation there and, and what happened. And so he heard about this and, you know, said that he booked a ticket on up here to check it out. And he said that as he was going through it, with his knowledge of how these things work, he felt that the tour wasn't being completely transparent or honest in its depiction of what's going on. And so they decided right then that they wanted to take a deeper look in into what was going on here at Fair Oaks. And so they decided to put one of their undercover investigators on it and had him go out for some job interviews. And that investigator got hired as a calf caretaker at one of the Fair Oaks farm locations. And that led to the video that was released. They did an investigation from August to November of 2018. And, and that was said that they took over 100 hours of footage and in that time documented a lot of the actions that you were describing 
describing in terms of both the abuse to the calves, some drug abuse problems, and just some various other things that you know that were going on right. there at Fair Oaks. And that was part of what was so shocking is that that undercover investigator worked at the Fair Oaks farm there from August to November of 2018. So it was just three months he was able to get all of this abuse on tape. Those other employees that were doing drugs and stuff, I mean, were comfortable enough around that guy within the three-month time span to be mm-hmm. doing those things. I mean, that's pretty shocking. What has the founder of Fair Oaks Farm said about this? Because he released a video. He said that he mm-hmm. acknowledged it. I think some people in question that were in that video have been fired now. But how are they responding to this? It is kind of interesting that only being there three months and and all that it seemed that this investigator managed to record. The founder, Mike McCloskey, came out right away and he acknowledged that there was animal cruelty and abuse in the videos. I mean, he did not try and deny it or say that this wasn't their farm or anything like that. But he said that it was these five individuals, four employees, and one was a third-party truck driver that were the main ones in the video, and they were the ones responsible for these actions. And and so he said that the truck driver is no longer allowed on their property. Three of the Fair Oaks workers had already been fired for what McCloskey said was some issues with how they were treating the animals. The fourth person had not yet been fired, but was fired on Tuesday, the day that the video was released. He has since put out another video statement saying that it was just contained to these individuals, but they're going to really make sure that their training system is working and they're going to install camera monitors around their property to make sure that this sort of treatment does not happen again. But it is interesting, you know, because a lot of people are asking the question of, you know, is it really contained to these individuals or is it more of a systemic problem? And, you know, that's something that I, I don't think is known yet. What has been some of the fallout from this now? Because I know there's some grocery store chains that have stopped carrying some of their products. Fairlife is a brand of milk that's done in conjunction with the Coca-Cola company. It's a low-fat, high-protein milk. So some grocery store chains have said that they are not going to be selling those products anymore. Jewel Osco, one chain, and they've got something around 185 stores, mostly in Illinois, some in northern Indiana. You know, they've said that they were removing the milk from their shelves. Some other stores haven't necessarily, you know, put statements out or anything like that. But even just myself in, in my grocery shopping have noticed that the Fairlife milk has not been there. Coca-Cola, the company that Fair Oaks has this deal with for Fairlife, as of right now, they've said that they feel confident in the way that Fair Oaks is responding and the actions and steps that they're taking and they're continuing to offer their support and help in any way. But, you know, as of right now, they seem to have plans to stay in that partnership, that joint venture. And the feedback that we've been seeing and hearing on social media has been really interesting because there's been a lot of people who are saying that they will never drink Fair Life again and that they are really upset to think that this was happening because they always thought that Fair Oaks Farms treated their animals so well. But then we are also hearing from a lot of people that are saying, hey, 
it was these four people. They're owning up to it. They're handling it. And I still support them. I'm still going to buy their products. I'm still going to go visit their farm and eat at their restaurant and, you know, do the dairy adventure. I mean, so we're really, in terms of public opinion, we're hearing strong opinions, I should say, from both sides. So, I mean, it will, obviously, as this investigation plays out, be interesting to see what happens there. But it will be interesting to see kind of how this uh, also fares in the court of public opinion. Right. Let's talk about the two men behind the faces of both sides of this. So on Mm -hmm. one side, we have Richard Kudo, who's been described as a yuppie Rambo or the Batman of animal cruelty. And on the other side, we have Mike McClowski, who's the founder of Fair Oaks Farms. They set up their dairy adventure there. It's kind of the Disneyland for agricultural tourism. There's a hotel. There's a gift store there. He's been at the White House to meet with President Donald Trump. He's got a lot of political connections. So tell us briefly about each guy. It was interesting to kind of take a look at these characters or the, or the main folks behind this. So, yes, yeah, so you have Richard Kudo, who's the, the founder of Arm or Animal Recovery Mission. He founded that in 2010 down in Florida in the Miami area. And for him, he had been volunteering at a local SPCA down there. And he just was seeing some of these things go on, especially down in Florida. They apparently have a problem with illegal horse slaughterhouses and trading horse meat on the black market. And so he started to learn more about this through his volunteering. And he just kind of felt that enough wasn't being done. And, and he, he was a real estate developer, you know, that was his job. And so during his evenings, though, he started to go out on these missions and do surveillance and that sort of thing. And I mean, no training, completely self-taught is what he's told me. And he decided that was what he wanted to do. You know, he has always had a love and respect for animals. And so he just jumped into that full time. And over these last, you know, almost 10 years, they continue to do these investigations into these slaughterhouses, into illegal animal fighting. You know, in the last few years, they've started looking into factory farm operations and these sorts of things. And then on the other side, you have Mike McCloskey, who was born in Pennsylvania, grew up in Puerto Rico and trained and was a veterinarian. And his wife met and they decided they wanted to start a dairy farm. And before they were down in the Southwest and they had a cooperative down there. And he's always been someone who's viewed as an ideas man, I guess, someone who's really innovative and and pushing boundaries. And so he had come up with this new way of processing the milk and a lot of others in his cooperative weren't really on board with doing that as well uh, because it was a bit more, you know, time and labor intensive. And so he left and started his own co-op, which was Select Milk Producers and and wound his way up in Indiana and then has since obviously out of that has Fair Oaks Farms and Fair Life and has just grown to be this really, really large, powerful farmer here in Indiana and uh, across the U.S., of course. And in our reporting, we were able to find some of his connections as it comes with that, a lot of contributions he's given over the years to different political figures. He was on, you know, an advisory committee, an agricultural advisory committee for the Trump administration administration during that transition. He's been to the White House. He's gotten personal shout out from Indiana's governor in this year's state of the state. So, I mean, certainly is a figure who is very prominent and well-known in Indiana and across the U.S. Kudo for his mm-hmm. part, doing great work, and he's getting praise from cops for his investigations and then criticism also. This brand of vigilanteism, you know, kind oh, right. of could undermine right. the ability for cops to prosecute animal abusers. And for McCloskey, growing up as a, a veterinarian and you know, he has this image of an animal lover. 
to have this happen at some of his properties, it doesn't sound right, but who knows? All these things uh, don't really mix. Let's just get into the final part of this from what we've gotten out of this investigation so far. We've had three people who face criminal charges but they're just misdemeanors. And that's all we have so far. Yeah. And that just is something that's come out, out and really been developing in the last few hours. Authorities just announced that three people are facing criminal charges in connection with the cruelty that the video and investigation showed at Fair Oaks. They've not identified who those suspects are. And I don't even know at this point if they've really you know, made it clear that it is the people who were in the video, though, of course, you know, that people will assume that's where we are right now and whether or not there is a larger investigation into the practices going on at Fair Oaks. I know there's been discussion of an independent auditor coming in to, you know, look at the practices there. And I know that ARM has also said that they have additional information that they plan to release at some point, no no kind of set schedule for that. But I mean, I, I so I certainly don't think that this situation and, and this case with Fair Oaks is by any means complete. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Sarah Bowman, environmental reporter at the Indianapolis Star. Thank you very much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. They are taking a very conscious effort to model this after the way that marijuana was actually eventually legalized in places like Colorado and California. Joining us now is Matt Simon, who covers cannabis, robots, and climate science for Wired. We're going to be talking about the recent effort to decriminalize magic mushrooms. It actually succeeded in two places. Denver and Oakland are the first two places that have decriminalized this, uh, basically just making it a lower priority for police. It's not full legalization such as marijuana is in, in a lot of states now, but it seems to be gaining some steam now. Tell us a little bit about this. This is moving so quickly, in fact, that it is catching even advocates of psychedelic science off guard. So there's two tracks here, really. So there's the research side where researchers are looking at how psychedelics like psilocybin are showing really good promise for treating a range of mental conditions such as depression and PTSD. But this other side that we're talking about now is the legislative side. So both Denver and Oakland did this on a city level while it remains very much illegal on the state level, as well as, of course, the federal level, which considers psilocybin to be a schedule one drug on par with heroin, which is just silly, really. What's the thought process behind decriminalizing these things? Even the article you mentioned that police weren't even running into many cases of people using magic mushrooms, things like that. But so on the legislative side, what's the thought process behind decriminalizing? What's really interesting there is that they are taking a very conscious effort to model this after the way that marijuana was actually eventually legalized in places like Colorado and California. It started at the local level. Oakland was the first city to say, okay, we're going to decriminalize this and see kind of what happens, anticipating that this would be legalized on a state level. And of course, cannabis prohibition will eventually fall on a federal level. But Oakland really saw this coming. In Denver, they specifically modeled the psilocybin initiative that passed last month on the way that they went about cannabis in the city as well, which is decriminalize and then work to a point where we actually legalize the use of cannabis and now working toward psilocybin. And what's interesting there is that there's different ways. Denver went through a ballot initiative, which is through the people, of course, and it just barely passed. But in Oakland, it was a little bit different. It was the city council taking up the measure and voting unanimously to decriminalize this, to make it a very low-level priority 
for the police with the eye in the coming years to be able to actually start a sort of marketplace for psilocybin, which of course comes with a ton of caveat. That would be able to do this safely, of course. But these people are all very much aware of that and, and thinking through that very carefully. Because cannabis was illegal for so much time, more and more states are legalizing it now. We weren't able to study it in the same way as other drugs. So we're behind the curve on that. And even more so with psilocybin. I think there's a few clinical trials going on right now, but there aren't very many studies related to this. So that would be a hard sell to get this implemented very quickly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because cannabis has been prohibited for so long, the federal government made it as difficult as possible to research it. In fact, there was only for a while one place that you get your cannabis, which was from the University of Mississippi. And it was notoriously terrible weed that was in no way representative of what was actually on the market. So because we had all those barriers to research, we could not only not know what cannabis is good for, which we now is know is good for things like pain relief, we didn't know the, the downsides to it. So cannabis, like all drugs, has some negative consequences at times. There's a thing called a cannabis use disorder where you actually form a dependency. But because the federal government made it so difficult to research these things, we don't know much about it, which of course comes at the detriment uh, for the public. And the same thing we're looking at here with psychedelics like psilocybin. They have been proving extremely effective, MDMA in particular, for treating things like PTSD in a very clinical setting where the user sits down with a pair of therapists who walks them through the experience. And it's very laid back. They can go at their own pace, very controlled setting. The difficulty now becomes, well, we have this legalized or getting toward legalization for personal use. That needs to come with some really strong considerations for safety. You can't overdose on psilocybin like you can on opioids, but you can potentially overdo it and do something silly and put yourself in danger. So what these groups in, in Oakland and Denver are very much concentrating on now is public education about how we can go about using these drugs in a very safe way. But I think there's going to be some speed bumps there because it's a very different drug from cannabis. And we just need to be very careful with this sort of thing. What are the next big steps? Are there any other states that are currently exploring legalization or cities even exploring decriminalization? In Oregon, they actually have a ballot measure coming up in in 2020 that will look to decriminalize psilocybin. California is also considering it. What's interesting here is that you're seeing this uh, emerge in the Western United States, just as cannabis did, steps towards legalization of that. So the concern now is as to next steps on the research side is that as Michael Pollan was arguing last month in a, in a piece in the New York Times, he wrote a book about psychedelic science that came out late last year. He's arguing that, well, maybe let's slow down here. We risk a sort of backlash like we saw in the 60s, where we had all these psychedelics coming into the public view and getting a negative light, of course, when all along they've had these really strong charms to them that they can be used to treat mental illness. But the concern now is that as we rush again extremely quickly toward this decriminalization that's even catching psychedelics advocates off guard, that we might be risking getting a little ahead of ourselves yeah. and letting the researchers do their things, prove out those charms. You know, MDMA trials are in phase three. The FDA has fast-tracked that. It shows such promise. So the concern is that we have these two worlds operating pretty independently, the research side and the policy side on a city or state level. And hopefully they don't come into conflict because these drugs, as we've been talking about, show tremendous promise for treating disorders like depression that have been treatment resistant up until now. 
Matt Simon, covering cannabis, robots, and climate science for Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.